Welcome into the Follow On podcast here at followoncricket.com. Chinmay Vaidya, Anish Tal, Parth Joshi, Ashay Chavan. Guys, before we get into the cricket stuff, we obviously have to talk about a tragedy that happened yesterday. We're recording on a Monday. It happened on Sunday. Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others were involved in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. No survivors, and obviously Kobe Bryant, the most notable name for everybody around the world, and that included the cricket world. Uh, Shane Warne, Virat Kohli, Viv Richards, Sachin Tendulkar were among the many who tweeted about uh, the tragedy. When the initial report came out from TMZ, I, you know, I didn't want to believe it, and I did not believe it for a long time, and then. Other reports surfaced from other stations, and then ESPN eventually uh, tweeted about it. And at that point, it kind of set in that, you know, Kobe Bryant had died. And for somebody who is a Lakers fan and a basketball fan because of Kobe Bryant. So basketball fan that I am, I am because of Kobe Bryant. And it's a, it's a tough loss. Uh, you know, you still, I'm still processing it. I'm, I'm sure everybody's still processing it. The one thing I guess I'll take away from Kobe is the desire to consistently get to the mountaintop and to get there every single time, not just once, not just twice, but every single time. And anything less than that was considered unsuccessful. And that's, I guess, the the desire, the competitiveness that everyone talks about that, that Kobe Bryant had that will be something that stays with me. So uh, I'll give you guys this time uh, to reflect on on how you're processing and you know how you will remember uh, one of the greatest players, uh, one of the greatest athletes uh, of all time. Just like you, Chinmay. I mean, growing up watching basketball, Kobe Bryant was always that guy, that guy that you wanted to watch. Whether you loved the Lakers, hated the Lakers, he was the person everyone had their eyes on. Um, just a fantastic player insane competitiveness and even more so than that just off the court just a great person a great family man a great father to four daughters um had a lot of a lot of charity events a lot of uh, philanthropic events that he did Um, had a lot to do outside of basketball when he retired and uh just like you it's, it's still hard to process still coming to terms with it and it's it's a big loss for the sports community and the whole world just in general uh, so still processing it, and prayers go out to Kobe Bryant's family. Um, of course, his daughter passing at age 13, very promising young basketball player and young woman as well. So heart, hearts go out to their family and uh, everyone that was affected by this death. I agree with all of what you said, Partha Chinmay. Um, I was also talking to one of our other friends right before this, and we were saying that it's difficult to process this, um, even though it's been a day and a half. I, don't, I just don't think... Uh, it was just a big part of our childhood. We were a little too late for, you know, the Jordan era, even living in Chicago. But Kobe was, like you said, just that guy. Like, not, obviously not, like, huge fans of his, but just he was just there, so ubiquitous in basketball, outside of basketball. And only being, you know, 41 years old, it's crazy to think that for literally for the next 50 years, like, he won't be there to see his own legacy that he's given. Like, just bigger than the game, just transcends like too big to fail kind of you know but it's just the suddenness of it that takes it away from from all the rest i think the response to 
this death has been really quite profound. I mean, we're, we're seeing uh, like athletes from all different all different pro sports tweeting about it and like tweeting pictures about him, and so that really shows how much of a global ambassador Kobe Bryant was, not just in the sports world, but just as a representative a representation of our country as well. So, really, really a big, really big loss. Yeah, you guys mentioned, obviously, the sporting accomplishments, the championships, MVPs, uh, the Olympics, gold medals, but it was kind of his life after basketball that was starting to take shape. Uh, He was obviously big on mentorship. He was uh, working out with current NBA athletes. His daughter, obviously, a promising basketball player herself, who also died in the tragedy. And some other things that I just found out just reading about he was on the board of directors for Los Angeles's Olympics bid. He was part of many charity events and many organizations in the Los Angeles community. He was the basically the founder of Mamba Sports Academy, uh, holding basketball camps and kind of, again, the mentorship aspect of it for people around Los Angeles. And obviously a huge part of the Lakers organization, which is the, the premier organization in, in basketball and maybe even in North American pro sports. It's a global brand, and, and Kobe was a global brand as well. I know in China he was a huge, um, wildly popular, even in the Philippines and just across the world. So it, it's crazy to see the impact that he had and will still have, even though you know he won't be there to witness it. There will be so many people who will kind of carry his stories, carry his legacy, carry everything that he has built so far and and take it forward. So, you know, his impact is still not done yet, even though he won't be there to witness it. So I think that's kind of something that, you know, we'll still be able to see the effects of what Kobe Bryant did. And he was going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame as part of the 2020 class. That will be, again, uh, another moment to remember. And another thing that Kobe was kind of unique for is something that we don't see in the NBA often now is he was kind of the last breed of superstars to stay with one team. Him, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Dwayne Wade moved around a little bit, I know, but he'll always be synonymous with the Miami Heat and spent most of his career there. Tim Duncan with the San Antonio Spurs. So we don't see that as often now with one superstar kind of staying with one team. And Kobe was the last of, of that kind of breed of, of player. So that's another thing. Uh, that kind of sticks with me. Obviously, we we got some cricket to talk about. And we'll talk about the Big Bash League. Our predictions when we started this have... Uh, we've seen the results of it now. And I'll just be honest, they were not good. Yeah, that's a light way of putting it, Chinway. So, the five playoff teams... That's very generous of you. Yeah, the, the five playoff teams for... The Big Bash League this season are the Melbourne Stars, the Sydney Sixers, the Adelaide Strikers, the Hobart Hurricanes, and the Sydney Thunder. I correctly predicted two of the five playoff teams. Anish also predicted two of the five playoff teams correctly. Parth and Ashe correctly predicted three of the five playoff teams, so we did not do... uh overly well in that department. We got some right, but obviously, you know, when there's only eight teams, you're bound to hit on some, but obviously the success rate we would have liked to be a little better. Uh, when it came to the awards, this is where it got really bad. <laughs> For most runs... Man, keep, 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 keep
Fortune me. Yeah. <laughs> For most runs, uh, Marcus Stoinis actually ended the regular season with the most runs. Nobody had picked Marcus Stoinis. I picked a fellow Melbourne Stars batsman in Ben Dunk, who scored 342 runs last season. Ben Dunk scored 84 runs this year and was dropped midway through the Big Bash League season, and he's been in and out of the squad. So not a great prediction on my part. Anish, you picked Callum Ferguson, and I'm going to venture that a lot of us had not heard of Callum Ferguson before you dropped that name. But you were right out of... All of us, Callum Ferguson had the most runs, so you correctly uh, predicted out of the out of the group that we picked. You correctly predicted the guy who scored the most runs. Uh, Marnus Labuschagne, who Parth and Ashe predicted, uh, unfortunately he only played in three games, so that really uh, hindered your guys' prediction. I don't think you anticipated him being selected for the ODI squad for Australia when they when they toured India, so that definitely played into it. But Marnus Labuschagne only 55 runs. Heated competition between him and Ben Dunk. So I was a little worried. <laughs> I was a little worried when I was looking up the stats to see if, if Ben Dunk had actually outscored Marnus Labuschagne, but that was, in fact, correct. Hey, man, at least our guy didn't get dropped, okay? Yeah, that's that's fair. Hold <laughs> up to higher duty, which is always more, uh, it's better than the stat sheet. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. We did we did do better in the wicket yeah. count though. We did do better in the wicket count. We did not correctly predict uh, the leading wicket taker. Sam's was the leading wicket taker. He got a couple um, multi wicket games at the end to to make that jump to the top. But Anish once again, uh, Rashid Khan with eighteen was the highest out of our picks. But uh, Chris Jordan, uh, Sandeep Lamachane, and Jai Richardson all tied with fifteen wickets. So we all got in the top 10 for the Big Bash League for, for the wickets. So we did way better here than we did with the run. So uh, congrats to everybody for, for correctly predicting this, or at least doing at least doing better than we did in the run tally. When it comes to predicting the champion, unfortunately, Ashe, Anish, and myself, our champions were eliminated. They are not in the playoff field. So we will be picking new champions in this segment. Parth, the Adelaide Strikers are still alive. They are currently the three seed, which means they will play the winner of Hobart and the Sydney Thunder. Parth, if you want to maintain your pick and roll with the Adelaide Strikers, you can do that. Are you sticking with the Strikers to win the Big Bash League? I am going to stick with the Strikers. I like the squad. Alex Carey, like you mentioned, Rashid Khan coming in, got 18 wickets. Uh, Phil Salt, good opening batsman. So, yeah, I'm going to stay with the squad here. All right. Ashe, you picked the Melbourne Renegades, who finished last in the league. So, uh, not a great call there from you. But uh, you've got five <laughs> options. Melbourne Stars, Sydney Sixers, Adelaide Strikers, Hobart Hurricanes, or Sydney Thunder. Who's your champion for the 2019-20 Big Bash League? Give me the Sydney Sixers. Anish, you and I, we both picked the Brisbane Heat. They had an opportunity to make the playoffs, but they lost to the Melbourne Renegades in the final game. And that's pretty much been Brisbane's season. They just haven't been able to come up when they needed it most. I am going to go with the Melbourne Stars. They were not able to get it done last year in the final. A major collapse at the end of that, but I think this year 
they do get it done. I'm going with the Melbourne Stars. Anish, who are you going with to win the Big Bash League? Well, I'm regretfully joining O'Shea, and I'm also taking the Sydney Sixers. This is a team that's peaking at the right time. They've got Steve Smith, they've got James Vince and Josh Phillip doing really well at the top of the order. And you know what, especially given the uh, playoff format of the Big Bash, playing in that one versus two game at the beginning is a huge asset for them as well. There's our updated Big Bash picks. Parth staying with the Adelaide Strikers, O'Shea and Anish going with the Sydney Sixers. I'll roll with the Melbourne Stars to get back to the final and win the final, something they could not do last year. We'll take a quick break, then we'll dive into India's ODI Series win against Australia and their tour of New Zealand. You're listening to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Welcome back into the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. You can check us out on Facebook at the Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at the Follow On. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. We're talking India's 2-1 to series win against Australia. We'll also dive into India's tour of New Zealand. Men in Blue currently up 2-0 over New Zealand in the T20 series as of this recording. India lost the first ODI against Australia. By 10 wickets, a century from David Warner and Aaron Finch each. And it was an absolute demolition. But India came back in the second and third ODIs to get get the win for the series against a pretty solid Australia team. Guys, what are your thoughts on, on India's resolve to come back after getting absolutely hammered in the first ODI? You know, that first ODI was tough to watch. The Australian openers just absolutely demolished us. But you know what? Australia has such a quality lineup. I mean, they're one of the best ODI teams in the world right now. You go down their top four, and I'm thinking, how do I get these batsmen out every single match? And that's that's similar on the India side as well, which is something that we haven't been able to say for a little bit of a while. Coming out party for Trey Iyer and Kale Rahul, no doubt, uh, they'll be taking the spotlight. And I think the big comeback, you know, we were worried about when you lose Shikhar Dhawan, who's been one of our best openers for a long time. Kale Rahul was able to come in and feel, we almost didn't even feel like we missed Shikhar, other than maybe his celebrations on his catches. And so those are, that was a really big series for those two players. I think, I think I really loved their versatility in terms of match planning. Um, I know that they wanted to open to Rahul, but Shikhar Dhawan was taking up that spot. His last form in his ODI was uh, really solid, and obviously they still have those chases down. Goalie didn't even really need to shine for India to take the final two ODIs, which showed that maybe they are kind of turning the page on getting like a upper middle or middle batting order kind of set over for the next few years at least. Don't discount what Barack Kohli is contributing to the series. He still played some huge innings and was making some big scores. I know we've discussed this before on the podcast, how we've all come to just expect this from him. And, you know, like 50s, 60s is just like a completely normal day at the park, whereas here we are celebrating, like, Ayer and Rahul scoring 50. So don't take away. Kohli had a very good series, too. Absolutely, Anish. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you could have said it better. Like we've talked about before, we've just been accustomed to Kohli coming in, scoring at least 50 every match. But what we seldom realize is that, you know, he led the run chase in the, I believe it was the third match. Yeah, the third match was the one that India chased in. Um, still uh, huge innings there. Shreya did come in at the end and play great innings. But, uh, yeah, the setup was there from Kohli. The big thing for me, though, from this series, this series was played in India. 
let's look at matches two and three. In the second match, just beat Bruma with an economy of 3.8. In the third match, economy of 3.9. In the second match, Moma Shami three wickets. And in the uh, third match, four wickets for Shami. That tells me a lot about how much India's pace attack has grown in the ODI format. If you think back several years ago, that was where India's pacers just used to get whacked, no matter where it was. And it was the spinners that had to come in and save the day. The face of India's bowling has changed a lot. And the fact that they can take wickets up front and contain runs against such a strong batting lineup like Australia is really the difference maker. Because like you see, uh, in the first match, I mean, the batting just failed completely. And that was the reason why the match was lost. But even in the second and third match, Australia would have been right in it if it weren't for the bowling attack coming in and really putting the pressure on, especially the pace bowling attack. So that's a big takeaway for me. And, you know, with Boomer and Shami and, and Saini was the uh, third bowler being played. So Bhuvaneshwar not in, Yadav not in, the names that we usually know not even in. But the top two are good enough to take wickets and contain runs that India stays in matches against good batting lineups with their pace attack, which is something we've never heard before. So that's the big takeaway for me from India coming back from this series. It starts with the bowling. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the first ODI, everything was off. I think the batting was off. The the lineup, obviously, you mentioned with Dhawan and Rahul, who was going to open with Rohit. Virat Kohli coming in at four, something that he's not really used to doing, or at least he hasn't done in a long time. He did it earlier in his career when India had Sachin Sehwag and Gumbir at the top, but he's been at three for so long that coming in at four, just unnatural for, for one match. So India got back to kind of the lineup that they were wanting to play in the second and third ODIs. Obviously, David Warner and Aaron Finch struggled after uh, brilliant centuries in the opening match, and, and the bowlers really came back, and they, they had a better plan in the second and third ODIs. One guy I want to mention, want to highlight, is Ravindra Jadeja. Uh, he continues to show his value with the ball in the field, and he didn't have the opportunity to bat in in these games, but he can still be handy with the bat. And we're seeing it even in the T20 series with New Zealand so far. He's being able to take wickets, and to have that all-round spinner, that left-arm spin option, that India is, uh, you know, deploying with him, it, it still shows that that he's still having some value even as he ages. Even though we think the fielding might slip a little bit, he's still showing that he's, you know, top class in that regard as well. So Ravinder Jadeja, a nice comeback series for him, I think, with the ball against Australia, and now he's continuing to show that uh, in this New Zealand tour as well. So uh, just another guy that you know I wanted to highlight, but obviously KL Rahul. Shreyas Iyer, the stories in that Australia-India series. And through two T20s, they're the same guys showing that, you know, they're here to stay. And they're going to be forced to be reckoned with for India. Your guys' thoughts on, on India's first two T20 wins against New Zealand on the backs of Shreyas Iyer and Gail Rahul? Yeah, an absolutely fantastic innings from Shreyas Iyer uh, in that first match. That was great to see. Uh, it's been a it's been long overdue for us to see Shreyasire actually come in and win an international match. Uh, so to see that happen was was great. We know he has all the talent in the world. We know he has fantastic timing. He has all the shots in the book. It was just a matter of seeing him actually play an international match and see it all the way through. So this was fantastic to see. And of course, Kale Rahul just in class form right now. He's pretty much unbeatable. 
And I think he pretty much, we, we already saw, I don't know if you guys had the chance to see it, but Rod Coley had a press conference about a week and a half or two weeks ago where he basically came out and said that Rahul is going to be the keeper for the near future for the time being. And I think rightfully so. He's clearly outplayed Bunt in every aspect, including behind the stumps, which is what I was skeptical about, if you guys remember for the last few podcasts, but has come in. Had a few nice stumpings, um, has been solid behind the wickets, not a lot of eyes, um, and of course the batting speaks for itself. So, yeah, a, a great performance from both of them, and it's exciting to see. Ravi Shastri also was asked about the keeper situation and basically not so delicately said that Rishabh Bunt lacks the fundamentals of a good wicketkeeper. So, Gail Rahul is pretty much locked in to the keeper spot, and obviously, uh, you know, his form with the bat versus Rishabh Bunt's inconsistencies. I think there's no question who the keeper is going to be. And really, for me, who the opener is going to be for India in a T20 game, it's going to be KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma. I think Shikhar Dhawan, you know, he has not played outside of the opening role in his career, but the numbers just aren't there in comparison to KL Rahul. And you have to go with the best player uh, when, you know, when you're playing these international games. And I think, uh, you know, Dhawan's a nice insurance policy to have, but... In T20s, I think Rahul and Rohit is the opening pair that India are going to go with. T20s, yes, I agree. Just play devil's advocate for the ODI format of the game. I think they really love the left-right combination and also chemistry that Dhawan and Rohit Sharma have. Also, think consider if you're if you're chasing and Gail Rahul has just kept for 50 overs. Putting him in as an opening is not necessarily the most conducive form. Plus, if you put him at four... I think that kind of threatens the middle order as well, while still giving you Dovin at the top. So in ODIs, I think that would be an ideal strategy, but T20, no questions asked, especially given his form of late. In the one-day format, Shreyas Iyer is pretty much locked in at number four. He's performed every single time that he's been out there at number four. He's pretty much locked in. We saw Rahul come in at five in the Australia series, so he's probably going to be there. I still think the numbers... I are very similar, but I still think he would be better suited as an opener. It's just that, you know, Dhawan has not played outside of the opener role. And so it's just a numbers game at that point that K.O. Rahul just has seen the number five position more often than Shikhar Dhawan, who has not seen it at all. So I think he has to be fit in there. But I don't know if K.O. Rahul at number five is the right option. Again, that's something that they'll have to sort out. But definitely... It has to be Virat Kohli at three. I don't think uh, they can do. I don't think they can do Virat Kohli at four. So I think. Tried that, it before. Yeah. I think he has to go at three because part of part parcel of being that number three is if one of the openers fails, you know how to work through with that new ball still, and obviously Kohli is the best person to do that. Yeah, so I think Kohli at three is is a non-negotiable. Rohit Sharma is locked in as an opener, so I think Dhawan Rahul is really the the key question there, and. You just have to go. It's a numbers game at this point. Shikhar Dhawan has never been a middle order batsman, so you just can't expect him to be, you know, successful in that position. So Rahul naturally goes to five, and I think they'll roll with that for now. But in the T Twenty game, I, I don't think Shikhar Dhawan is in the starting eleven just because of KL Rahul's form. What about ICC Shikhar? Would you still not put opens with Shikhar in the upcoming T Twenty World Cup? <laughs> I just don't think you can bank on that. I think you have to go with the best player. And I think every metric says KL Rahul as an opener is better than Shikhar Dhawan. I would go with the better player. 
I think Virat Kohli will go with the better player. And I think that's how you have to play it. ICC Shikar is a thing. We've talked about it so many times, but you, you just got to go with the best player available. And I think Gail Rahul is the best opener available for India right now with Rohit Sharma. One of the things I wanted to bring up was the number six slot in both the ODI and the T20 teams. Really hasn't been a whole lot of pressure on these players like Manish Pandey, Shivam Dube, Ravindra Jadeja to put in a good batting performance. And that's still a question mark that India has moved forward. Now, I know part of it's one less bad out of the lineup. Hardik Pandya is also hurt. And Kaylor Jada hasn't been in the team. But what do you guys think about our number six slot moving forwards? For me, number six is interesting because you need to have a player who not only can kind of maintain an innings if the situation calls for it, but also accelerate. And I think Pandya is the player that you would want to be that accelerant, but he's not there right now, obviously. I think Jadav has had too many opportunities and is just too inconsistent to be at number six. I still think you try Bunt, even though he's had um, kind of a rough year in terms of what his role is going to be in and out of the team, the pressure, fans chanting MS Dhoni's name while he's, you know, keeping behind the stumps. I think he's had a very weird year, and I think India has not managed his call up to the international team properly. And obviously part of it is on Rishabh Bunt. You can't play 20 odd games and be so wildly inconsistent and get out in key moments and play reckless shots and expect to be kept in the team. But I think India was wrong to try him out at number four. I don't think he was ever a number four batsman. And I don't think they realistically thought that he was a number four batsman. So I don't know why they tried him out there. But I think I still think Bunt would be the ideal number six. I guess at this point, you have to go with Jadeja. He's the most experienced of your options. So I think you have to go with Jadeja. I know that leaves you one less true bat. But I think that's your only option at this point because the others are just way too inconsistent. The reason they tried Bunt at four, obviously in hindsight, not the best decision. You need better temperament at that spot. But there was a time of transition when they were literally trying to cycle through 10 players for their four, five, and six spots. And you can't really expect to go into a tournament or a series, abroad especially, not knowing who to put in your four, five, four and five spot and expecting to win matches. So I think they were trying that to see if he stuck. But like you said, it was on him. You can't play rash one-handed shots that just give you easy catches in key moments. I think that, that being said, if, if he's told that he doesn't have to keep anymore, then that might be some pressure off his shoulders as well. So you never know what could be the case in the future. But he's come in as a keeper. He's supposed to be a keeper. And the reason being is because he's bad in the field. So he's going to be bad in the field and bad behind the stumps and bad with the bat. I don't see a place for him in the Indian team. Especially with the likes of so many good fielders out there, such right. as Manish Pandey, who currently is probably a better batsman at number six than Richard Funt is because he's more consistent. He can hold in innings. If India needs 75 runs off 70 balls, I would rather have Manish Pandey come in and play a supporting role with whoever else is going to bat because I know he'll more likely than Rishabh Pant stay there the whole time and not play some rash shot. Chinmay, to your point, with Jadeja being at six, I think we're, we're leaving out one spot if we put Jadeja at six, right? If he's at seven, that still leaves four bowlers, which is usually 
the makeup of the Indian team where there's four bowlers, an all-rounder, and then the six is either an all-rounder or, you know, pure batsman, depending on what's going on. So, Anisha, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about six, but I'm completely against Bunt. I think Jadeja should drop to seven, and I think six should be a true batsman. Jadeja dropping to seven would be ideal if Punt, oh, sorry, not Punt, if Bandia was there, because then you kind of have two all-rounders, and Bandia can always accelerate. I mean, I like I like that they're experimenting with Shivam Dubey right there right now. He's got a little bit of pop. I mean, I think Manish Pandey is an excellent fielder. Don't get me wrong. He made made a great catch uh, during the series as well. I'm just not as convinced about his uh, his batting, and if, especially if India needs to accelerate, he's not a bat I want down the lineup. I think. Look, Jadeja obviously leaves you one less true batsman if you go that route, because then Pandey would be there, and you'd have. Obviously, your bowlers come in. So I do think six will will actually be a true batsman. And Manish Pandey, probably the inside track to that role. The last thing I will say on Rishabh Bunt, though, is yes, it's ultimately on the player to perform. But I don't think he was cast in the right role. And I think that can really be damaging to any athlete, but especially to a cricketer, a young cricketer, who's coming into the Indian team with the expectation that he's going to suddenly perform. And when you're miscast in a role, I just don't think it, it works well for you. So while he's had some pretty major struggles and, you know, there's the, the mental aspect of it is, is also there. I do think that India kind of misplayed their hand with Bunt. Ayer is, I think, set at number four. I still have questions about whether he is actually a T20 international player. I know he played two wonderful innings against New Zealand recently, but the overall numbers, still a little bit of doubt for me. But if he is going to play in the T20 squad, he has to play at number four. He can't play anywhere else. His his numbers at the four position are absolutely insane. So he has to play at four if he's going to play in the Indian team. But I think when we talk about India's middle order crisis, I think India is in a way better position now than they were even by the end of the 2019 World Cup in terms of finding middle-order players for both T20s and ODIs. What, what do you guys Absolutely. think about that assessment? 100% agreed. I couldn't agree more. I think it was a it was a huge problem coming into the World Cup. I think now, and I don't think it's because there's been a huge change. I think it's because one player has really stepped up and shown that they actually have potential, and, and that's Shreya Sire. And that's the only reason why I think the middle order is more solidified just because of one player, not because of a lot of upcoming players, in my opinion. And that is Shreyas Iyer, Delhi Daredevil's captain. Don't you guys forget. God, <laughs> get out of here. And <laughs> how did I know that was going to come up? All right, so I, it, I was also going to bring it up earlier with Marcus Stoinis being the leading run getter in the big in the big bash. Oh, Marcus Stoinis, yeah, that's great for uh, great for Delhi. They're really looking solid with uh, their guys showing out. So India up 2-0 on this, uh, on this New Zealand team in the T20 series. There's three more T20s. You guys think India closes it out? Uh, you think it's a clean sweep or you think New Zealand does eventually get one back? I think India wins 4-1. I think New Zealand gets one. Yep. I'm with you too, Chinmai. I think New Zealand has a way to steal one. They do have some good power hitting. They have some strike bowlers who can pick up some key wickets. So I can see them stealing one, but overall India just the much better side. So. I'm with you on the 4-1 win. I'm going to go 5-0. Oh, Anish predicting a whitewash. All right. So Anish has 5-0. The rest of us have 4-1. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, 
We'll dive into England, South Africa. The test series just wrapped up. We'll preview the ODI series that those sides will partake in. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Back here on the Follow On podcast, Chinmay Vaidya, Anish Tao, Parth Joshi, Ashay Chavan. We're talking England, South Africa. South Africa won the first test, and then it was all England for the next three. Uh, the visitors absolutely demolished South Africa across the board. Uh, Vernon Philander played his final test. Kogiso Rabada was out for the final test, suspended because of his celebration. And there was a lot of weird back and forth going on between these two. Obviously, a uh, mix-up with Duplessis and Root the other day that's making headlines. Ben Stokes and his... Interaction with the fan. I'm not going to repeat what he allegedly said. You can you can go look it up on your own. But uh, Ben Stokes and fan interaction, and you know the history that he's had really off the pitch. Ed Sheeran. Yeah, he's, he's not a fan of Ed Sheeran, and uh, not a fan of what the uh, spectator said to him. So you know, you guys can go look up the comments. Uh, I'm not going to repeat them here, but uh, pretty disrespectful to to say the least. Uh, so. Tensions high in this series right now between the two. England obviously coming off the World Cup win. They go into an ODI series looking really solid. England, str- uh, you know, trying to get these young guys in now while the veterans are still uh, kind of firing on all cylinders. Johnny Bairstow, Jason Roy will be there at the top. I expect England to be very aggressive in this series. I expect them to dominate South Africa. But the big thing for South Africa, no Faf Duplessis, no Kagiso Rabada. They'll be rested. And I think uh, Faf Duplessis, there's some questions about whether you know he's still going to be in the ODI side uh, for the near future. So that'll be something to monitor. Uh, Quinton Dukak will lead the team. And five players in the squad who have not played an ODI match up until this point, who have not played an international match up until this point. So it'll be interesting to see how South Africa shuffles their lineup, but a very interesting kind of transition time for South Africa cricket. Um, you know, they had struggles with their sponsorships. They had struggles with their domestic league. I don't think it brought in the amount of revenue that uh, they were expecting it to. There's a very public saga where they want A.B. de Villiers to come back in the team. And there's pretty much comments on it every other day from the past week. Faf, you know, saying that AB will come back for the T20 World Cup. Mark Boucher saying he's had conversations with De Villiers. And there's just been a lot of weird things going on with South Africa cricket. So your guys' kind of reaction to the the Test Series, uh, your thoughts on the ODI Series and the state of South Africa cricket in general, because I think that's the big story here. This Test Series has some pretty insane stats in terms of South Africa. They're just in like some rut. They've lost so many row at home. This is like, there's been more than 100 years. The last time England won three set tests in a series against South Africa was in 1913. So more than 100 years ago. And they've literally lost three three back-to-back-to-back series in a row at home. Like, that's literally so seldom seen because the home field advantage is pretty large in international test cricket series. That, like, you can tell that they're in a rut. Like, you don't know what they're... The revenue is down. Like you said, their sponsorships are missing. And this is just, like, strange to see. Because a year ago, they had they were considered to have so much talent. And I wasn't, I'm not exactly sure what happened in the past, like, eight months. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the test series was slightly disheartening to see. I mean, the first game started off really well. Second one, um, at the end of it, England won convincingly. But it was it was a relatively close match still. Um, and then from there, it just went downhill, and England just started to dominate every match. Um, although I will say it was very exciting with all the drama coming out, um, as you mentioned before. <laughs> so that was fun to see. Uh, I won't discredit any of that. Of course, the stump mic with Joss Butler and Dillinger coming back to Joss Butler after taking his wicket in the last day. So exciting stuff. You want to see that in test cricket. You want to see competitive cricket. So that was great to see. But uh, at the end of the day, overall, South Africa just got beaten down badly. Um kind of what we expected to be fully honest because their team is depleted and they just don't have the stars to to keep up with England as far as the ODI series though I'm pretty excited for this one like you said Chin my five new players into the side resting the old players Quinton Nikoth coming in as captain who I think is the captain of South Africa for the future so I want to see how these new guys perform and I think it's the right decision to bring in new people for this series at home in front of their home crowd so looking forward to it, and let's see where South Africa goes from here because there's only up for them. My takeaway from the Test Series is I don't know how in God's name that South Africa won the first Test the way they've looked the rest of this series. Really disappointed from them, but like Parth was saying, this ODI Series really is an opportunity for both some young players for England and for South Africa to really make a name for themselves. From that standpoint, it will be exciting. Yeah, I agree with that. I think South Africa are obviously in a state of transition. There's nowhere to go but up. They've lost a lot of veteran players, uh, and they're trying to phase in some new guys. I think, you know, Rossi van der Dussen still explosive in the middle order. David Miller, we saw what he did in the Big Bash League. He can still play some big shots down the order. And, you know, Quinton de Kock is a very solid opener. So they're going to have to find some new pieces. But I still think South Africa has, you know, three or four players that they can – uh, still build around and, and get back to competitiveness fairly quickly. Kagiso Rabada, obviously, uh, one of the premier pace bowlers in the world. So they're, they're kind of set there. I do like, uh, Norche. He played well in the test series. And I think he's going to be another solid player for South Africa going forward. So they do have, you know, five or six guys that are competent, who've played international cricket and have played at the highest level. And I think they, they have at least some foundation to mix guys in and play guys around these pieces instead of just starting completely from scratch. But I do think the one thing that would really help South Africa, and I know it's going to be hard for them to do this because, you know, it's a, it's a topic of conversation and they're excited about it, but just please stop talking about AB de Villiers. It's been two years now. He's enjoying retirement. He's playing in domestic T20 leagues. If he shows up for the World Cup, he shows up. But please, no more comments on AB de Villiers. I am tired of reading about whether AB de Villiers is going to come back because it's been two years now. He's 35 years old. He's wildly inconsistent as a batsman now. We've seen it in the Big Bash. We've seen it in the IPL. We don't know if we're going to get the same guy. I know they're excited. I know what he means to that team, but please... That's my last plea to South Africa cricket. Focus on the ODI series. Worry about A.B. de Villiers later and no more public comments. If he shows up, he shows up. I mean, you can do that in theory, but how are you supposed to tell one person who's like a hopeful for the World Cup, oh, your spot might be in question if this legend shows up. I feel like you have to end that saga 
determinedly. You can't just say, hey, AB, let us know if by September if you're going to play in October. Well, yeah, that's fair. Obviously, internally, those discussions can happen. I just don't want to see an article every other day like Faf says, oh, I'm excited for AB de Villiers to be in the T20 squad. Clickbait uh, journalist for that. It's also on the players and the coaches to not answer the questions. Or they can say, you know, we've answered this before. You know, you can go to our, our other responses. Look, I, I don't want players and, and coaches as someone in the industry to just shy away from questions entirely. But this is getting kind of annoying now that, you know, these young players are coming in. You're in a state of transition. Quinton DeCock is a, a new captain, someone you can look forward to as a leader. Rossi van der is an exciting player. And all the conversation is, is where does A.B. de Villiers potentially fit in to South Africa's lineup? So, yeah, I just I would like to see less of it, more focus on the ODI series. But I think England wins convincingly. Uh, anybody have South Africa in this series? Or is it going to be England all the way? Definitely England, for sure. England. One quick thing, Chinmai, to, to your point about A.B. de Villiers real quick, you know, the biggest thing about him having this shadow of doubt about whether he's going to play or not is that we don't talk about Aiden Markham. We don't talk about Quentin DeCock. We don't talk about um, Dean Elgar or Milan. Um, good batsmen, good young batsmen on the South African team who should be scoring centuries here and there. And we don't talk about it anymore because we're worried about, oh, this team is depleted. They don't have De Villiers. Half is not in top form. Um, you know, there's a lot of altercations between the Pacers and England's team. But what about the cock? He's, he's averaging 47 this series, which is good. He hasn't been able to convert a score into a big hundred. It's about time that he starts doing that now. Aiden Markham, he's been, he's been around long enough now. He's been extremely talented, times the ball very well, but makes extremely silly mistakes. It's time for them to start picking up the ownership and not look to A.B. de Villiers, not look to Faf not look to all this other drama that's going around around the team. It's time for the talented players on South Africa, which they do have, to step up and make big scores and take wickets. And and that's what this team isn't doing right now. There's just a lot of distractions and there's a lot of other stuff going on that, that just shouldn't be going on right now. They have a team. They have the talent. They have a farm system. Let's Let's get going. Let's make some scores. Let's take some wickets. Let's put on some performances. I think that's South Africa's downfall right now. Couldn't have said it any better. I think this England series will, will go a long way to determining where South Africa's at and whether these players can step up or whether they need to have you know their spot in question. And that's going to do it for us here at the Follow On Podcast. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and as always, all of our content at followoncricket.com. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Mamba out.